I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And I am here today solo in Newport Beach, California, recording a podcast on an article I wrote called Permission to Transact. Since this is the podcast and not the blog, I'll get to open up a little bit more and tell you why I wrote this article. I have had a lot of conversations with people recently that either are desiring to acquire a new home, to buy a second home, to sell their house, to move to another state, and um, folks are so overwhelmed right now. Uh, They just feel like they don't know what's going to happen around the corner with real estate prices. And when they look in the rearview mirror, they see, man, prices have really spiked over the last couple of years. And now interest rates are really high. And there's a lot more houses on market today than there was last month. And houses are staying on market longer. So there's this kind of little fear or anxiety about perhaps um, being the last person to overpay uh, for a house in whatever city that they want to live in. And I wrote this article to say, you have permission to buy real estate right now. Uh, Now, maybe I don't have the authority to give you that permission. uh, And I'm going to give that permission with a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is, uh, if you're going to do that purchase, of course, there should be a lengthy conversation with your family uh, and the people impacted by this. And there should be a lengthy conversation with your advice giver, uh, whoever guides you uh, on your financial decisions. But you don't need to sit on your hands right now. and, and I want to walk you through why people feel this way. Um, we have a natural tendency uh, when we think in personal finance to look back in history um, and kind of go to some of our financial wounds. And for a lot of us, one of those financial wounds is 2007. Now, you might say, wait, why is he saying 2007? Or maybe it's 2006. I'm saying pre-financial crisis. There are folks that bought homes Uh, In that time period, when prices were a lot more expensive in 2006 or 2007 than they were in 2010 or 2011. So people remember that. They have those battle scars. And they're like, oh, is this going to happen again? And I think the problem there is, uh, you know, that old quote, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Because history doesn't repeat itself, I want to tell you that there's a good chance that the next issue that we have in in the real estate market probably won't look a lot like that. That was a rare event um, that only had a real fair comparison to something like the Great Depression. From now to the next time we have an experience like that, there'll probably be uh, a lot of tiny little pullbacks and corrections and uh, iterations that you might not even notice. So what I don't want you to do is to feel paralyzed uh, by this idea of not knowing what the future has in store for real estate prices, because guess what? Nobody else knows either. So my encouragement is to say, hey, what if you just went the planning route and you figured out, hey, first and foremost, like what's my dream list of what makes sense for my family? And for some folks, it might be, hey, we want to live in this school district or we want to have a pool, or uh, we want to be close to this particular golf course or these hiking trails, whatever that might be. Um, now, I'm going to basically wrap that in this idea of it should be in feasibility, right? Um, 
maybe you want a 10,000 square foot house, but maybe it's not feasible for your own balance sheet and, and your cash flow. I don't know. That That's where um, you'll kind of have those two tension points, right? You'll you'll talk with your family about what those dreams and desires and goals are, and then you'll talk to your advisor for what is feasible and what fits into your financial plan. Uh, and that's why this decision is very qualitative. One of the things I pointed out in the article is that this article is not really about investment properties. Uh, I think investment properties, the analysis that you would do would be very different. Uh, you would look at uh, a lot of properties, and you juxtapose those properties against each other, and you'd really be focusing on the quantitative factors, right? Hey, how do I maximize return on this investment property? Uh, that's the hard thing when we're talking about a residence because it can feel like an investment, can look like an investment because it ends up on your balance sheet, but then you realize it's so much more than an investment. Um, it's where you're going to sleep at night. It's where you're going to raise your children. Uh, it's when your where your grandkids are going to come over and play. Like I even think about even when I say that, there's a, a family we're good friends with, and um, we hadn't been over to their house in a while, and, and they took us to this room. They said, "Hey, we kind of we remodeled this room. It's it's the grandma room." And I didn't know what a grandma room was. And we went up there. It was beautiful. Uh, they they set up these tiered bunk beds where uh, four of the grandkids could sleep. And each of the bunk beds had these drawers that were full of toys. And um, it was uh, had these kind of stairs running up the middle, which was really unique, where grandma could sit kind of in the middle of the stairs and, and read a book. And all the kids could listen. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, and it, it goes in line with this idea of uh, making a house a home. So... Obviously, when we talk about uh, your primary residence or, or your second home that acts as like a vacation home, it's going to be a very different conversation than if we just get out uh, you know, an Excel file and, and a calculator and try to figure out, hey, what's the best investment property? So with that in mind, the reason I'm using that language of like, hey, permission to transact, and I don't have a perfect way to say this, and, and hopefully uh, what I mean by it comes across, it's okay if you don't sell at the peak price um, when you're going to be moving to a new zip code, uh, it's okay if you overpay a, a little bit for a house that you, you really, really wanted. Again, within feasibility and if it's reasonable for your financial plan, I think if you are naturally frugal, which I am, it is going to lead you to this kind of like paralyzing state that, hey, if things feel expensive, like imagine me, Trevor Cummings, going into um, – any sort of luxury store where I'd feel out of place where I'm like looking at the price tags. I'm like, Eek, I don't think I would want to run my credit card to make a purchase of any of these things. Yes, I get it. You're going to have that feeling. But what I'm trying to get to is that if you spent the last three months or six months kind of pondering with your family and doing planning and you were down this path of buying a home or selling your home or, or whatnot, I don't want you to feel like you missed the boat and you can no longer do that. Um, what I did in the article I wanted to explain is, hey, two things have happened. We've seen housing prices spike in the last 24 months. And then in the last four weeks, eight weeks, three months, we've seen transactions slow down. So let's break down why that happened. I provided way more charts in this week's Thoughts on Money, which I'll encourage you to go to the article, than I normally do because I wanted to take you through – kind of this fact pattern to show, hey, this is how we got here, and it shouldn't really be a surprise. So again, let's think through this. Post-2008, the great financial crisis, 
There's a lot of reasons why our country stopped building, or why people in our country stopped building homes, either for the lack of money or the fear of what they just experienced. So I put a chart in there to show you the crater of new builds uh, and how we're kind of digging ourselves out of that hole. And if you look at that moment in, you know, from 2007 to that big dip, uh, we have not built enough houses. Then I provided you demographics and I showed you that the number one age group uh, in regards to population in the United States is 30 somethings people, you know, of the age of 30 to 34. Those are typically your first time home buyers or your home upgraders, right? They're buying their second home and something a little bit bigger as their, as their family grows. So go back to economics 101 with this idea of supply and demand. You've cut supply off a little bit, right? Because you haven't built enough homes and you're having really strong demand based on population. Then you have some amplifiers. I put these in here as well. You have interest rates at an all-time low um, in 2021. So you have a, a big group of people that want to buy homes. You have not enough supply um, that, you know, over the last 10 years, we really haven't built to where we needed to build. You have really low interest rates. And then the other amplifier, right, like uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back or, or whatever you want to call it, COVID happened. What happened? We all were forced to be homebodies. Now, I'm a natural homebody, but not everybody is. So as people spent more time in their home, they noticed things. And they said, man, it'd be really nice if I had an office. Or it'd be really nice if we had, you know, a little bit of a bigger backyard. This drove people to do one of two things. Either upgrade, buy new homes, again. Uh, or they went to Lowe's and they went to Home Depot. And they bought uh, lumber and they bought all these things to create the improvements on their current home. And the facts support that. Uh, you can go look at the charts, see what happened to stock prices as people uh, have that kind of home improvement movement, um, or look at transactions, home sales, all of that. So we now have a general understanding of, okay, when you have a big population group, not enough supply, or not enough homes, really low interest rates, and you lock people in their home for a year, this is what happens. But now... Since that was pretty aggressive, right, as those prices drove up, we're now seeing kind of a reaction. And typically in finance, we will use terms like the reversion to the mean. Like things tend to get ahead of themselves, and then they kind of revert back to their averages. So home prices did get expensive. Uh, you can look at that on a lot of different metrics. What's going to happen when home prices get expensive? Well, if you're going to go sell your house today, you're going to be a little stubborn, I'm not criticizing you, but you are. You're going to look at your neighbors and the comparable uh, sales, and you're going to say, man, my house is that same square footage. I have uh, you know, a, a newer upgrade and all these things. I at least have to get that price. So as sellers are a little bit stubborn about prices um, and buyers have interest rates that are double now, and that's definitely going to challenge their affordability, there's going to be a mismatch there. And what we're going to see happen, and it's already happening, right? So now, in the more recent past, you've seen if you if you have a, a you know if you have a Zillow app and you're going on your phone, you're going to the application. I, I go on it pretty regularly. I don't know why I do this, but I just kind of nerd out and look at my zip code and see kind of the homes for sale. It's changed. I remember I live in San Clemente. I remember searching San Clemente maybe a year ago, and there might have been 
14 or 20 properties uh, on there. Now there's 70. So you see a rise in supply, more people wanting to sell their homes, less buyers being able to afford those. You see houses staying on market longer. And then I put a chart on here. Um, Redfin provided a chart that shows the highest percentages of homes on their website that have lowered their prices since they've tracked this over something like the last 10 years or something like that. So again, you're seeing a little bit of a changing of the tide. Am I seeing this in the sense of like, oh, you're seeing cracks in the system and it's, it's about to break? No, I'm saying this is natural. Uh, this is a natural reaction in the ebbs and flows and the um, expansions and contractions of home prices. Now, I don't like to use averages. So if you want to criticize me for this next statement, you have my permission because I'd criticize myself. But if you went back to the dip in average home prices, the medium home price in, in the United States um, in 2008, it was significant, but it was less than 30%. And that was an abnormal kind of once in a lifetime event. So could you see housing prices get a little bit softer and go down five or 6%? You could. And I don't know the best way to tell you this, but I wouldn't wait to try to get a 5% discount um, or I wouldn't wait to sell my home just to get a 5% premium because you might be surprised when that doesn't happen or you might be surprised when you have to wait a little bit longer than you planned. And I think that game of speculation um, and trying to time markets, I haven't seen it work really well for folks. Now, I wanted to include in this article my own personal experience because in a very short time period, I've been on both sides of this coin. I bought a home in October of 2019. I bought another home uh, as my family grew and we needed a little bit more space uh, in 2022. So three years later, the home I bought in 2019 was worth 70% more by the time I sold it in 2022. That's nice. Uh, sure, we can celebrate that. But I obviously took that equity to buy a new home. Um, so I don't know how it all shake out. But is there a chance that I bought at a low? And then the second time I bought at a high? Yeah, perhaps. And that's okay. What I talked about in that experience, and I would encourage you to go to the article, um, the way I purchased those homes, it might not work out for you. But I, I think you can you can glean some some wisdom from this. My wife and I, we went to a dozen open houses. And saying that, it's probably not fair because somebody's listening to this. It went to 50 open houses um, in, in 2019. And we put offers the first date was on market and, and over asking. And I, I, we went in these homes and I, 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 I promise you, I, I, in my mind, I had my son's like fifth birthday party in this house. Like I had already kind of decorated this house mentally. Like we were going to live here. Um, that happened three times in a row. We didn't get even a counter offer um, on any of those properties. I mentioned in the article the fourth property we went to. I fell in love with it. It was like white picket fence. It was in this area in San Juan Capistrano that we love. It had a park across the street. I was like, we're going to buy this house. Like, no matter what, we're going to buy this house. I called the real estate agent because I, I happened to have his number. I, I, acquaintanceship. I knew him. Um, and I said, hey, I want to put an offer on, on this listing you have. He, and he said, we don't even want an offer. We already have enough. 
So I was like, oh my word, this is such a frustrating process. Like I wanted to buy a home for my family. So my wife and I, we, we, we prayed, we went to the drawing board. We, we tried to figure out, Hey, like, how do we work this stuff out for, for our family? Cause this is a really frustrating process and not something we really want to partake in. So we knew a family, a, a family that's good friends uh, and they were building a new home and it was going to take a year to build that new home. Um, and financially they, they wanted to figure out a way, how could they sell their home, but rent it back and live there for a year. Cause they loved it until they can kind of transition to this new property. Um, we were the solution for them. We bought the home, we rented it back to them. We let them stay there for a year. Uh, and then we've lived in that home for the last two years and we love it. It's beautiful. Now our family's grown. Uh, we've got two little boys at home and uh, a little girl due at the end of the year. So we've, we've outgrown that space. So, um, but we learned from that experience and my wife and I were like, oh man, patience pays off and being willing to be creative in, in the article, I called it prudently creative. Um, that can be advantageous. So I was just trying to think, Hey, where would I see my family? What, like, what are kind of the, the style of house that we want and where do we want to live and, and the size and all these things. And uh, I had another friend and his house came to mind and I said, I sent him a text message. I said, Hey, I don't know if you ever want to sell your house, but I would love to buy your house. Now, for this particular friend, I, I know he spends a lot of time out of state, and I know his, his kids are getting older, and um, it's a big house. So um, I mentioned to him, I said, hey, if in the future you need to downsize, um, we we can swap houses. Like, I'll sell you my house, and you sell me yours, and we can figure that all out. Um, so we went back and forth for a, a year or so, and um, then it started to become a reality. Um, and then we completed that transaction, I think it was in April of this year. Um, and we, we haven't moved in yet, but we're going to. So these these ideas of creating creative solutions uh, and kind of being accommodative to what those folks' needs are, right? Like uh, the second friend needed a, a smaller house so I could sell mine and um, he needed to rent back for a certain period. Um, that flexibility and that patience can pay off. Now, I mentioned the article, there's times where I've seen people be imprudently creative. Um, so you want to be careful. And that's why it's nice when you go shoulder to shoulder with an advisor and say, hey, put some eyes on this. What do you think of this? And we have a lot of clients that do that. And there's sometimes, I'll tell clients, looks attractive, makes sense, but I wouldn't do it. And here's why. And it's always if I was in your shoes. We want to give a client the freedom to make the decision that they, that they feel is best. It's right. It's ultimately their decision. But when you can say, I wouldn't do it if I was in your shoes, and here's why. Um, that can be really, really helpful. So the truth I want you to take from this uh, is that patience can pay off. And I want you to be very careful about fear and greed um, because those things, are, are, are those emotions or feelings uh, can be the early signs of a, an upcoming bad financial decision. Um, how does greed surface? Well, I, I know a particular property in uh in the area that I live and I saw what they um, put the property up for sale. It was a, uh, it was a gigantic price. And I was thinking that would be the highest price in that neighborhood plus 500,000. And uh, they're just not going to get it. And um, you know, I, I happen to know a friend of a friend of the family and uh, you know, I, they built the house and I get kind of uh, their desire to do that. And I don't want to label it as greed, but um they were definitely anchoring to some of the other prices and kind of inflating what they thought about their own property. And I've seen this house on Zillow kind of come down 
250,000 repriced, 250,000 repriced. So that can be the death kiss for, for some properties, especially when there's 70 properties on the market. So again, I'm not labeling that as greed uh, or, or what that might be. So I'm just saying, be careful of what your motivations are. Um, and just try to figure out with your advisor, hey, for my situation, um, what's my range? Like I talked to a client the other day uh, that was selling a property and I said, hey, I get that you're selling the property for X. What would be a really good idea is try to figure out your range. Um, would you be willing to let it go for Y? Uh, and set the floor on that range like right off the bat in your head. That way when you get into the bargaining process, you're not offended um, or anything like that. And if it doesn't stay within your desired range, you can take it off the market. Uh, that's absolutely your choice. But again, I'll reinstill that idea that getting the top dollar or getting the best deal, that can be a priority with an investment property. I think when you're talking about your home, I would encourage you to be a little bit more flexible. And again, if you get your advisor's blessing, typically the plus or minus 5%, plus or minus 6 or 7%, it doesn't typically make or break a financial plan. And again, the whole time I'm writing this article, I'm thinking about this idea of make a house a home, make a house a home, and just what is a home? And then I'm not trying to get emotional or, uh, or anything like that on the podcast, but just think about how many memories you're going to have in that home. Um, I talk to a lot of clients that uh, have surplus in their financial plan to say, hey, is it ever a desire of yours or would you ever consider maybe buying a vacation home where you know you have four or five kids and they're kind of spread out around the country? Does it make sense that you guys do family reunions twice a year at this particular central location? Uh, and, and I offer that as advice or guidance or an idea because I know how meaningful that's been for a lot of families uh, and to see the pictures that they post online and the stories and the laughter um, it is priceless, right? It might be cliche to say, but it absolutely is priceless. So um, that's my encouragement for this week. Uh, you're welcome to email me. Uh, I'm happy to have a dialogue. I wrote this article specifically because it's a top of mind conversation for a lot of people. Um, before we wrap up, I, I did put some tidbits at the end of the article on just, hey, here's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, and I titled that section Open-Minded. Uh, and I was encouraging people of what creativity could look like. Um, and I know sometimes this is a, has a lot of negative connotation with it, but the Federal Reserve is tightening right now, um, which can make interest only or, or uh, adjustable rate mortgages and, and things like that more attractive than your traditional fixed mortgage. Could it make sense for some buyers to look at one of those uh, adjustable rate mortgages as a solution over the next five, six years uh, until there's an opportunity to refinance, it could. Um, could it make sense for a seller to offer a credit to the buyer uh, that they could be used to you know, pay down the points on, on their particular loan and get a better interest rate? It could. Um, and I think being open-minded about those things uh, in the market we find ourselves can be helpful. Uh, for folks that are moving out of state, uh, maybe to lower their taxes or to be lower to, uh, closer to grandkids, I encourage them, maybe you consider renting. Maybe you don't sell your family home that you've owned for 30 years. Maybe you rent it out to give yourself that boomerang opportunity. Because uh, I can tell you a lot of cases when I've seen families move to be closer to kids and then the kids decided, hey, they actually want to move somewhere else. 
because of a job change or things like that. The entire motivation was to be close to the grandkids. And all of a sudden, they're in a foreign land uh, that they haven't spent their entire life. So I think optionality and flexibility is huge. So uh, we know that life can throw curveballs and we have to pivot and all of uh, those things that you're familiar with. So again, pen flexibility into your financial plan by saying, hey, we're going to check out Omaha uh, for a year and we're going to rent. And then what we're going to do is, you know, we live in Portland right now and, you know, we've owned this home for 30 years. Uh, We're going to rent it out for for a year and then we'll kind of check back in a year and see what we want to do. I mean, it's the same advice I give young people when it comes to tattoos. Get the tattoo drawn up that you want to do. Go put it in the safe. Open it in a year. And if you still want that tattoo, then do it. Um, but definitely don't uh, show up at the tattoo parlor, uh, open the book, and say, I want that one. Um, those things are permanent. So some of these financial decisions can be difficult to unwind. So I like that boomerang optionality uh, that you can offer into your financial plan. Again, I'm sure there's questions. I'm sure your situation has its own nuance and particulars. I'd be happy to talk about it. You can reach me at tom at thebonsagroup.com, T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. If you'd like to do me a favor, I'd ask you to rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. All comments are welcome. And then I will be back next week with more of my thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.